Hello. 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 Welcome. Uh, we are going back to school today. Uh, uh, is there anybody in here who's actually... Yes, Dean, he's ready for school. Back row. I'm going to bring you to the front if you're not behaving yourself, Dean. There'll be a detention. Okay. Is anybody actually going back to school this week? Yeah, a few people. Yes, great. Great. Well, in honor of you, this is the title of our series for September is Back to School. Those of you who were in small groups last week kind of probably saw the introduction uh, to this series. Uh, me in a classroom with some unruly kids. Um, uh, but I just want to ask to start with, who remembers, I know a lot of you are way past school age, looking out among you, way past, who can remember the, the, the first day back after the summer holidays, going back to school, remember that feeling of, of going back to school after you've been off for six weeks, yeah, remember, remember that? No, too far, so long ago. No. Well, let me give you a clue. It was kind of this bittersweet feeling, wasn't it? It was kind of, there was, there was some bad things about the whole thing, and there were some good things about the whole thing. It was bitter because you were, your holiday was ending. That was it. For a whole year until, you know, kind of, I guess, till Christmas. No, not, you haven't got that long to wait. Um, but uh, it was, you, you know, you were going back to, back to work, back to homework. Uh, back to maybe some uh, kids in your class who were perhaps bullies, you know, treating you badly, or some teachers who were treating you bad, who you knew they had it in for you, yeah? And you had to go back to some pretty bad stuff. But it was also, there was, that was the bitterness, but there's also the sweetness of the start of something new, yeah? Uh, new, new teachers, new classes, uh, new lessons, the chance for a do-over, the, the, the chance to correct any mistakes you made previously in, in the previous school year when you ended in July. You can start again. And maybe you've got this new uniform on. Who remembers the feeling of a new uniform? I remember last year we were doing the forethought uh, during lockdown. And Fru and I, every time we did it, we kind of brought in a new word for you. Uh, we, we were trying to teach you some, some, some words that didn't have an English equivalent. And there was one of the weeks we talked about this word, estranar. Estranar, which is, uh, it's, it, there's no English equivalent to this word, but estranar is this feeling that you get when you're wearing new clothes. You know what I mean? You stand a little bit taller, you kind of got new clothes on, and you walk into school, and if you're anything like me, uh, the blazers were hanging like three inches below your fingertips, yeah? Because you, this was going to last you for the whole year, all right? No matter how much you grew, this was going to be your uniform. In fact, my parents weren't that well off when we were growing up, and we got a, every summer we would get a grant from the council to buy our uniform. And so there would be this one day in the school holidays where we would, the whole family would traipse off to this department store, where it's the only place we could spend the grant, if I remember rightly, uh, and, um, and we would all get ourselves kitted out for the year. It was a really exciting thing. And so we would end up going to school on our first day with these big clothes, kind of ready. But everybody else was the same uh, too. Uh, but new beginnings, they're great, aren't they? When you've got a blank page in front of you, when you've got a, 
a, an unplanted field that's ready to be planted or uh, you've got a lump of clay that's ready to be shaped. There's something exciting and there's lots of potential in something new. And my old primary school teacher, um, Mr. Smith, uh, he would start every new year with an assembly for the whole school and he would say the exact same thing every year. He would stand up and he would say, you get out of school what you put into school. You get out of school what you put into it. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking actually how true that is. You know, the more you engage with your lessons at school, actually the better qualifications you're likely to get. The more you, you, you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. And I want us to begin this new series, Back to School, with that same thinking. Okay, this is not, these are not just going to be messages that you listen to and have your ears tickled every Sunday and then kind of go again on Monday and forget everything. Let me just sort my mic out here. It's not sitting quite right. There we go. It's not just words that are going to come in one ear and out the other. I want you to really engage with these messages. There's going to be five weeks, five messages, uh, talking into different areas of your life. And I want you to really, really think about what we're talking about. And, and there's going to be homework, all right? There's going to be homework. We're going back to school, what do you expect? There's going to be homework. So, so this will help you engage uh, with the message. So um, the five areas that we're going to be looking at are our spiritual health, our physical health, our financial health, our emotional health. And we're going to start today with our relational health. And everything we learn is going to be directly from the Bible. Because I like to teach from the Bible. It's a good book, right? It's a great textbook, isn't it? Yeah, it's the best, the best textbook we can get. So we're going to be looking from the Word of God. Um, and right now, as we begin, I want us to, to kind of open our minds uh, to two specific ideas, okay? And the first idea is is humility, okay? So as we start, I want us to come with humility, humbly acknowledging to ourselves and to God as well that there are areas in our life that we could be doing better in, that there are areas that we're not smashing it in. There may be some areas where you're doing great, but there will be areas, because I know you're like me. I know you're just like me. There are areas where I know, actually, I could be doing, could be doing better in that area. So I want us to, in humility, come and acknowledge that. And the second thing I want us to do is to come with confidence. Okay, confident that, that God wants to do something in us, that God wants to change us and make us better. To, particularly those areas that we, are, uh, we, that we are acknowledging he wants to come and do our work in. So let me just pray for us across those two things, and pray it with me as, as we go. So, Lord God, I pray as we open up your word right now, as we start, and, uh, start this new series, this new school year, we acknowledge that there are areas of our life that we are not smashing it, that we're not necessarily doing all that well in, and we want to change, God. And we come confident because we know um, that you want to help us and to change us 
and to bring us through this series better and stronger and fitter and more healthy. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. God, that is our confidence in you, that you will bring it to completion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we're going back to school, and the key verse for this series, I spoke to you in small groups last week, is uh, taken from the book of Ephesians. Now, this is a, a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, a church a bit like us. They were doing well in some areas, but in some areas they needed a little bit of help. And in uh, chapter 4, we read, uh, there's a heading that says, Instructions for Christian living. From verse 17, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 4 verse 17, it says, instructions for Christian living. And if there are instructions, we should pay attention, right? Does anybody like to read instructions here? Is it just me and Megan? Yeah, there's a few of us. I love instructions. If I get a new toy, you're thinking, what's a grown man getting toys? You know what I mean. Gadgets. If I get a new gadget or something, the first thing I'll do is open up the box. I won't take the gadget out. I'll take the instructions out. And I'll savor and look and read the whole thing back to front before. I'm a bit of a nerd, okay? Uh, I'm not normal, I know that. But I love instructions. I know that I want to get the best out of this thing, whatever it is. And so I read the instructions. Um, So if there's a section in our Bible, in our textbook, that says instructions on how to live, this is pretty good, right? This is good news, and it's pretty important. Instructions for passing the Christian life exam, if you like, and it's helpful to us. So we went through this in small groups last week. Um, Oh, would you like my background there? Bit of a blackboard thing going on, uh, because we're back to school. Um, uh, But I'm going to just remind you of the key points that we looked at last week. So this is Paul writing. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it, so it's important. He's telling them, and he's insisting, okay, uh, on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Uh, In some translations, it's saying, stop following the crowd. Stop doing what the world is doing, or stop doing what you used to do when you were in the world, before you were, uh, gave your life to Jesus. Now you should be living differently. He said, no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And I love that word, uh, futile, uh, which means inca- uh, incapable of producing a useful result. If you keep living that way, there's going to be no good result from that. If you keep doing what you were doing before or what the world does, there's no going to be good fruit from that, all right? So in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Why? Why are they darkened in their understanding? Why are they separated from the life of God? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Okay, so they're darkened because of their ignorance. Why have they got ignorance? Well, it tells us because due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, last week, I, uh, during the small group lesson, I talked about how the five things that we're looking at, the spiritual uh, health, our um, emotional health, our relational health, our financial health, and our physical health, are all kind of contained within these words. But what I want us to show today is that it all starts with a hardened heart. We have to kind of move the order around a bit, but it says they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because 
of the ignorance, and that's there due to the hardening of their hearts. So each of these negative traits starts with a hardened heart. Okay, that's the root of so many of our issues, is a hard heart. And if we know that the root of our issues is a hard heart, then the answer to living right must be a soft, malleable heart. I don't know why I'm kind of, I feel like that's a bit evil, isn't it? It kind of looks like I'm holding a heart in my hand. Um, But we want to come with a soft heart. And that's kind of why we began with that prayer of humility at the start. Coming with humility, that's the sign of a soft heart. That's how we come with a soft heart, acknowledging our shortcomings and presenting ourselves in readiness, ready to change. So Paul has explained here how the Ephesian church, and by extension how us, how we're not living right. He then goes on to talk, uh, to give um, the way to live better. He said, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So there's kind of this education speech in here. We've got learning, we've got teaching. And then he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then after this passage, Paul goes on to list various activities and attributes and um, ways of living that uh, kind of are not right, okay, bad behavior. Um, but in this school, in the school of Jesus, we have to remember that we don't just respond to a list of do's and don'ts. Okay, that would be the school of legalism. Okay, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's not what Christianity is about. Although you wouldn't know it half the time because we do like to follow a list of rules. Okay, um, but we are part of the school of grace. And there's a clue to this in the end of this passage here. What does it say? It says, put, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness. So we put on the new self. This is not something we strive to do. It's not something we try harder to do. Self, this is not self-improvement. It's not self-help. The good, the clothes, the, uh, the new self that we put on is created for us by God. This is grace. This is grace. He tells us to live differently, and then he gives us the clothes. He gives us the means by which we can do it because our new self is created. Um, And we want to kind of get to this place of of life in all its fullness that Jesus uh, promised us. And in the school of grace, the new clothes that we put on are created for us. God creates the person we are to be. Now, earlier in this same letter... Paul, talking to the church, says this, which again, it it confirms what I've just said. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, 
So it's not what you do so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Again, it says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we do do good works. There are things for us to do, but that's not what we put on. We put on the righteousness that God gives us. And as a result of that, that will lead to the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. So how do I become this, this new creation? How do I put off the old clothes, continuing the metaphor? Um, if God is the one who transforms me, what's my part in this? Well, if we go back to our key verse in Ephesians 4, he gives us the clue. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That's kind of one side of the bridge, if you like, to take off your old clothes, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. That's kind of the other side of the bridge. So the bridge is to be made new in the attitude of your minds. We need to transform our thinking. And this whole series essentially is about changing the way we think. It's about having new thoughts, a new way of thinking about God. Changing our thinking, understanding who God is, and then having a, an, an understanding of who we are in the light of who God is. Setting our minds on things above, not on things below. So that is, I guess, by way of an introduction to this series, which is all about changing our minds. In the second half of my message today, just for the last kind of 10 or 15 minutes, I want to talk about one area, which is relational health, okay? Having better relationships, having health, healthier relationships, approaching all of our relationships in a God-centered kingdom way. Now, we need to, obviously, we've already talked about softening our hearts, and this is so true in terms of the way that we speak and the way that we relate to people. We need to soften our hearts towards the people that we interact with. And Jesus teaches quite a lot that loving people is just as important to him as loving God. And we've talked about this before on many occasions. The measure of our love for God, the way we see how much we love God, is, is measured by how much we love other people. Yeah? This was a different thing. This was the change from the old covenant to the new covenant. The old covenant, the laws of Moses, the rules and the regulations, they were all about how you bring your worship to God. These were all about vertical worship. And then Jesus uh, came along and said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. This is not a new commandment to add to all the other commandments. This is the new commandment that supersedes all the other commandments it makes them kind of, it doesn't void them exactly, but if you obey this one commandment, all the other things will sort themselves out. You know, Jesus says, by this, you will fulfill all the law and the prophets if you love one another as I have loved you. He made it so simple. It's about loving people. Relational health is so important to God, and it's one of our key instructions for living life in all of its fullness. If we can 
If we can get our relationships right, or the way that we approach relationships right, I'm not saying that every relationship you have will be perfect. But you can approach every relationship perfectly. You can, with the right mindset, by changing our, changing our thinking. How should our, we approach our interactions with others? Is there a way that we can relate to people that is better than we're currently doing? There's a passage in the Bible where Jesus tells an amazing parable. And it's a story that's become so familiar with us that it's actually become a figure of speech. We talk about the good, a good Samaritan, don't we? And sometimes when something becomes so familiar, we can lose its meaning. We can lose the sense of the, the depth of meaning that we can. So we're going to look at the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, today and try and get some truths uh, from it. It's so much more than perhaps we think it is. So it starts with a teacher of the law, a lawyer, approaching Jesus with a question. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. And Jesus, being the smart cookie that he is, he turns it right around and he says, well, what do you think? What do you think? Jesus is not about to get trapped by a guy. He says, what do you think? And the lawyer, well, he's thought about this. He's ready with his answer. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a great answer. It's a smart answer. And uh, Jesus affirms it. Um, and Jesus says, yep, that's absolutely right. You've nailed it. Uh, just keep doing that. And let me know when you've, when you've got that. All right? Let me know. Uh, and then we'll chat again. But the guy, the lawyer, is not kind of happy with that. He's, he's ready to go a bit further with this. And uh, he says, and this is the real question. He says, well, okay, Jesus, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And really what he's saying, the Bible says that he wants to justify himself. I think what he's saying is... Uh, what is the minimum level I can do to inherit eternal life? Where is the rule exactly? Okay, if, if, that, if, if, I, if I've got to love God, yeah, I've got that. I've got to love my neighbor. Where is that? Where, what is my neighbor? And maybe you're like me and you would think of neighbor in terms of somebody close to you. It could be your actual next door neighbor. It could be your family. It could be the people who are like you. For Certainly for ancient uh, Jew, Jews, that's what they would have considered to be their neighbor. People who are other Jews, other Israelites, that, that was their neighbor. We talk, it's mentioned in Deuteronomy. It talks about their neighbors being those people who were like them, certainly not foreigners. Okay. But we all have our perspective on who our neighbor is people who are like us. So when he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Love people who are like me. Yeah, it's pretty easy because I'm lovable. I'm great. <laughs> A little bit too hard, uh, Erica. A little bit too much laughing. But Jesus does what Jesus does, and he redefines their interpretation. He's got some things to say. So from Luke 10, he says this, in reply, Jesus said, Well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. 
And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And you can imagine the people listening to this parable going, sucking their teeth a little bit, a priest, a vicar, a pastor of a church, and a worship leader. A pastor of a church and a worship leader just passed by this guy. They did not love their neighbor. And so they're sat thinking, well, that's not how I'm going to do. I know how to love my neighbor. They should have done it. They should have helped the guy because they are his neighbor. And the lesson is then, do better. Do better than the, the priest and the Levite. But Jesus goes on. It's about to get real. <laughs> but a Samaritan. Hold on a minute. Did you just say Samaritan? As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Surely, surely, Jesus, you're not going to make the Samaritan the hero of this story? That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be right. You see, relationships, they are, they are spatial. And obviously, if you think of, of, of circles, you've got your closest circle, your, your closest family, your mum, your dad, your kids, maybe. Then you've got your next circle, which is perhaps your best buddies, your best friends, guys you go to the pub with. Uh, then maybe you've got extended family, the people who you see at Christmas, for good or for bad, whatever that is, looks like. Uh, and then maybe you've got your acquaintances, those guys at work who you sometimes see, but you don't really hang out with them. And then maybe you've got uh, other people at work who you just see, you don't talk to at all. And then maybe you've got uh, the strangers who you pass in the street. And then you've got Samaritans. Okay, they're right on the very outside. Okay, they're, 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 they're not your neighbor. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> There, at the very back of the ring here. Um, the Samaritan, he represents the complete opposite of neighbor. I don't know who that would be for you. Maybe it would be criminals, pedophiles, somebody who you would not expect to be your neighbor. But Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero here. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So these two groups of people, you've got the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't speak to each other, they wouldn't touch one another, they hated one another. This is just too much. And then Jesus' question, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law, he couldn't even say the word, the Samaritan. <laughs> the, the, one, the one who had mercy on him. You can see through gritted teeth. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus says, in this story, you are not the injured man. You are not the religious people. You're not the innkeeper or the donkey. You're the Samaritan. You're the Samaritan. In essence, he's redefining 
This whole idea of spatial relationships. He's redefining who neighbor is. And all those different layers, he's saying, no, no, no. Bring them all in, all into one layer. Everybody is your neighbor. Everybody is your neighbor. So that, that command, love your neighbor as yourself, that's really just about everybody. Which is what Jesus did, didn't he? When he died on the cross, that was Jesus loving everybody. Everybody. So how do we love our neighbor? Well, we do whatever we can to help. We encourage, we show kindness, we go and be above and beyond like the Samaritan did, whatever the cost. And I guess that for me is the starting point of relational health. If you want to do better in your relationships, it starts with having a soft heart towards everybody, to every single person. Whether it's a close family member, someone you met at the checkout, or an acquaintance, or someone who has deeply offended you, it's time to consider them your neighbor and love them as we love ourselves. It's a simple concept again, but it's far from easy. So now that we know who we're talking about, how are we going to change our thinking? How are we going to be made new in the attitude of our minds? I'm going to give us three principles that's going to get us moving. It won't take me, it won't take me long, okay? Three principles to get us moving in the right direction. Number one, give. This is to build relational health. Give unconditionally. Give unconditionally. Go into every relationship expecting to give and not to get. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, uh, you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is a shift in thinking. Redefining who our neighbour is. I read in, uh, in my daily devotionals a few weeks ago, uh, Oswald Chambers, he said this, never look for righteousness or justice or mercy from others. But never stop giving them yourself. Never stop looking, and sorry, never expect love or charity or generosity from others, but never stop giving these things yourself. Don't make your behavior towards others a condition of their behavior towards you. That's not righteousness. That's not righteousness. We've got better clothes than that. We have to remove that way of thinking, remove that old self, and put on new clothes. So we need to give unconditionally. We need to serve humbly. We need to approach all our relationships with humility. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, Paul writing says this, and it's pretty clear, again, it's great instructions. In your relationships, here we go, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So we need to change our thinking to think the way Jesus thought. All right? We need to have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being very nature God, he was up here, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Have the same mindset. Have that mindset. We need to change our thinking. What do we need to change our thinking to? The same mindset as Jesus. Serve humbly. Give unconditionally. We read in the Gospels that Jesus washed his disciples' feet and we know that he went round and washed each of his disciples' feet in turn, including Peter, the guy who was going to deny him, and Judas, the guy who was going to betray him. He washed them all. Serve humbly. And number three, repair the broken. Put right those relationships that are broken as far as you can. Again, the, the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has so much to say about this. And we looked at, then we looked at this scripture a few weeks ago. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, first, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So if you're coming to worship God, on a Sunday, if you're coming to do your vertical worship, you're coming to give him glory, to give him honor, and that's great, that's nothing wrong with that. But you know that someone's got something against you, first, put that right. First, put that right. Now, and I know it's not always possible to mend broken relationships. So I guess, as far as you are able, as far as it depends on you, as much as you can, repair broken relationships. Jesus is telling us that reconciliation with other people is more important than bringing our worship to him. In fact, I think he's saying you can't fully worship God until you've done your best to put your relationships right horizontally with your neighbours. We need to go horizontal before we can go vertically. So, three points. Give unconditionally, serve humbly, and repair those relational rifts, repair broken relationships. And that's your homework for this, this week. Do all those three. Okay? But I do, I want you to, to, if you haven't written them down, maybe make a note of them somewhere. To give unconditionally. Serve humbly. Repair broken relationships. Three things. And if you can start to put those into practice with everybody that you come across, with everybody that you interact with this week, I have no doubt that all your relationships will be healthier. You will start to feel better about all the relationships you have because you're starting to wear those new clothes. You're changing your thinking and you're putting on new clothes. Let me say it again. Give unconditionally. Serve humbly. Repair broken relationships. Sorry? <laughs> Do you want me to say it again, Kevin? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
Give unconditionally. Serve humbly. And repair broken relationships. I probably should have made it an acrostic or something so that he spelled out a word, but I didn't. Um, I'm done. I'm just going to pray and then we're going we're to finish uh, this morning. Lord God, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you are interested in all areas of our life. And we thank you that we can learn from you about having better relationships. And Jesus, I pray that as we put into practice those things we have learned, as we, as we be the Samaritan, as we be neighbors to everybody that we come across, that we will see health in those areas and, and we will see people uh, not just um, feeling better about themselves, God, but, but coming to you, God, that people will find you and their relationship with you will just grow and grow and grow. In your name we pray. Amen.